good, everybody? Welcome to another Niners Nation podcast. I'm Rob Stats Guerrera here, flying solo with you today. Going to be a little bit of a shorter episode, but there's been a couple of Niners-related things that have come out that I want to mention with you. Uh, Peter King has some stuff in his Football Morning in America column about the draft and how different it's going to be this year. And I have some thoughts about why I think that could be really good for the 49ers if they're willing to do something that they haven't shown a propensity to do in the Lynch-Shanahan era. Also, I want to get to some Jason Verrett news that I saw about his future with San Francisco and how, once again, a potential mock draft has thrown something into pretty sharp relief for me that I've talked about a little bit before, and it involves Trent Williams and how Trent Williams is really the fork in the road for this 49ers offseason. And uh, quickly before we go, by the way, the best news of the day, which is involves 49ers jersey news, which you probably saw on Twitter. But if you didn't, you're going to be very happy at the end of this pod. So please make sure you stay through and listen to the whole thing. We always want you to listen to the whole thing. Come on, I'm entertaining. If you think so, by the way, please continue to rate, review and subscribe to the Niners Nation podcast. We really do appreciate it. They really do help. We love answering your questions. If you have them, please, please keep those coming. All right, let's start off with the Peter King stuff. Uh, This is from his Football Morning in America column, and it's about the draft and how it kind of sounds like teams are freaking out a little bit. I just want to read from what Peter wrote. According to one GM, there's three areas that they're having trouble in. The first is there's more players than ever that have one season of successful college football only. So obviously that always makes GMs and teams pucker a little bit because they don't like uncertainty. And with only one year, obviously, there's a ton of uncertainty. Mitchell Trubisky only had one real year at college where he really produced. Obviously, we've seen how that turned out. Joe Burrow, on the other side of things, also only had one year of college production, and he looked pretty good before he got hurt. So, you know, it goes both ways. You can find an excuse to do whatever you want to do if you're a team that's drafting a guy with only one year of production at the college level. The second thing, from according to Peter, is with no on-campus scouting this year other than the pro day, they're having trouble getting access to information. The GM that he talked to said the draft meetings have so far shown less information than ever in things like how does he take coaching, what kind of a teammate is he, and what's his work ethic. And that's a big one. Like, that is a big deal because so much of your success as a player comes down not only to your physical talents, but also the mental side of the game. How do you do things from the neck up? Can you take hard coaching? Are you a guy that's showing up early and staying late? Are you working on your craft, your mechanics, your fundamentals every single season? That's a factor, too. If they can't get that kind of information, that's also going to make a lot of people nervous when it comes time to draft players. And the third thing, and this is also a big one too, limited medical information. Usually they do everything at the combine. All the teams have access to to the medical reports for all these guys. I know that in talks about moving the combine, the league, the people inside the league have said they don't want to move it because they like how the medical facilities are set up there. Everything is super close together. And that is the most important part of the combine. Forget the 40 times, forget the bench press. I have heard it on the record. Off the record, on the air, off the air, everyone that makes decisions will tell you the most important part of the combine, the thing the teams value more than anything, 
is not the drills. It's the medical examinations. Not having that is going to make people really nervous because the only time your team is going to get to examine the guy is after you've already drafted him. That That is not good if you're a team like San Francisco, for instance, who really can't afford to have too many injured guys on their team. So those are the three areas. More players with one year of production, no on-campus scouting this year, and limited medical information. And that is tough. Those are all things that should make every team nervous. But there's also a little bit of opportunity there. You know, I, I cite this quote often, but I really believe in it. It's from Warren Buffett, the billionaire, who said, they asked him, how did you make all this money? And he said very simply, when people are nervous, be greedy. When people are greedy, be nervous. Well, guess what? Everybody's nervous this year. Everybody doesn't know what to do a little bit because this is different than any other year in the history of the NFL draft. And that's why I think it's the perfect opportunity for the 49ers to be greedy. There are going to be really good players who slip in this draft, who fall. And not just in the first round. I know we all love the mock drafts with the first round, but you know, there's also six other rounds here. There's going to be good players that slip because not everybody's going to have access to the same information. And that was one of the first things that popped into my head when I read that from Peter King today, is what kind of teams are set up to take advantage of this situation? Because there is opportunity there if you can grab it. And to me, it's the teams that have the best relationships with coaches in college, and not just head coaches, position coaches, maybe strength coaches, just anybody in a position to give you some of those details that they're having trouble getting now because of the limited information that's going around. I'm willing to bet you Kyle Shanahan's making phone calls. John Lynch is making phone calls. Every connection that you have now is being called into service. It's like, you know, you get those weird random messages from people on Facebook or Instagram that you haven't talked to in a while. It's like, oh, great. We graduated high school together seven years ago. I haven't spoken to you since then. And now you're hitting me up. Oh, You're trying to get a job. Here's your resume. Oh, yeah, interesting. You know, they always give you the first two questions, which are total bullshit, right? Like, they do not care about them at all, but they don't want to come right out and ask you for what they need, so they throw those two things in. How you doing? Good, good. You're married now? You have kids? Oh, you do? Okay, how old are your kids? Oh, that's a good age, right? No matter what age you say, it's always a good age. No one's ever like, how old are your kids? Four. Oh, four man, you're in trouble. I'm sorry, man. That sucks. It's always a good age. Then they get to the third question. Oh, by the way, while I have you, since we're talking, speaking of kids, whatever the connection is, they'll make it. They want a job or they started their own business and they want you to buy something from them. It's a great product. Cigarette lighter and can opener in one. Yes, you must have it. I bet all those things are happening right now. And, you know, there's a couple places where the 49ers have connections. South Carolina was one. Arizona State is another. The 49ers talked about that a lot when they took Brandon Ayuk last year. They're very close with Herman Edwards, the head coach there. So part of me wonders if they're going to rely maybe too much on those. But I think that that is the main job of the 49ers now. It's all that information gathering. What do we want? What do we need? What do we need? And so, like I said, I think the 49ers have a chance to get a good player. Now they are going to have to be aggressive when everyone's greedy. Like Warren Buffett said, they have to do that. Will they? 
I don't know. This regime doesn't have the best history when it comes to taking risks. They're very risk-averse. They're very value-driven. And by the way, I'm not just talking about quarterbacks, because I know everyone wants to talk about a quarterback in the first round. Any position the 49ers want to go, whether it's offensive lineman, whether it's edge rusher, like, for instance, in Peter's column, he actually brings up one specific player that I don't know the 49ers necessarily are going to be interested in, but it's just a, a good example of kind of the thing that we're talking about here. From Miami, Gregory Rousseau. He's got some questionable things in his history, got hurt his freshman year, redshirted. Then he was ACC Defensive Rookie of the Year with 15 and a half sacks. Year three, he opts out because of COVID. So he's got four months of college game experience, no combine. You can't look at him physically. You can't look at him mentally at the combine. No in-person visit. So it's Zoom meetings only. And oh, by the way, he's 20 years old. Like that is scary to put your eggs in that basket. But if you do, if you take that risk and he turns out to be a great player, holy crap, you've got a 20-year-old stud pass rusher who's going to play out, you know, his rookie deal four or five years, be a free agent at 25. You could sign him to another deal and then be done with him after two deals by the time he's like 29 years old. That's an incredible payoff if you're willing to take the risk. And if I'm John Lynch, what I'm doing is, as part of my rankings and my draft board, who are the guys I'm willing to take that risk on? Like, separate category. Just put them off to the side. And maybe it's only like three to five names in the whole draft. You know, however long it is. Maybe you, I think you should establish ahead of time your list of players that you're willing to swallow hard and hand in that card. And I did not mean for that to rhyme. I wonder if they do it. I hope they do. I hope they do. Because I would rather see my team swing and miss than never swing. Like, try for the home run. I know you're going to strike out sometimes. Like, that's going to happen. But you can't hit a home run if you're not trying. I would rather see them swing and miss. And hopefully they do. You know, I don't know how desperate Kyle and, and John are. They just got new deals. So maybe they're not as willing to do that. But I hope that they have a little urgency here. So it's going to be a crazy year draft-wise. Like, we're going to see stuff happen in this draft. More than any other draft, I think this might be a year where it's like, whoa, I'm one of those draft guys that doesn't check Twitter before the pick is made because I don't want to see ahead of time. I like the surprise of watching on TV when the commissioner starts to talk and you're like, what? And it's some crazy thing that you never thought could happen. Like, I'm in for that. It's better to me to have that suspense. And I think this year there could be a lot more payoff for people that do that to just be like, I did not see that coming. What is happening right now? One other side note from this before I transition to a different subject. It's something else Peter mentioned in this column. Like how much time does it take for these people to develop? If you're only 20 years old and you opted out last year and you've got like one year of good production, you literally just have not played a lot of football so you may be talented enough to play in the NFL, but it may take a year or two before you really kind of get your footing underneath you because you just haven't had the same amount of reps. You know, it's that whole Malcolm Gladwell, 10,000 hours. You've, you've got to put in 10,000 hours on something before you become a master. Well, some of those 10,000 hours usually take place at the college level. Not so now. So you may not get the immediate payoff that we've seen from guys in the draft like Justin Jefferson, who just came in and lit the world on fire even though there might be players as good as that. 
We just might have to wait a year to see it, which is another thing you have to keep in mind if you're Lynch, Shanahan, or anybody else, obviously, drafting these players is when are you going to get that return on your investment? Okay, the next thing on my list is a tweet I saw about Jason Verrett, which didn't really surprise me. I saw it over the weekend, and it was basically a rumor that Jason Verrett is going to reach free agency, that he's not going to reach a deal with the 49ers, and that he's going to go out there on the open market. This should not shock anyone. If you're Jason Verrett, you have to do this. Like, there is no other option for you, even if you want to sign with San Francisco. It is all about getting paid for you. And I know that's going to bother some people, but if you look at his injury history, he has to do this. He doesn't know how many healthy years he's going to have left. He played every game last year or close to it, which was awesome, and he was amazing. But he can't realistically say that he can count on that every year. He's 29 years old. He's going to be 30 before the season even starts. If you thought there was a chance that he was going to sign with the 49ers before testing the open market, you were crazy. He would be doing himself a disservice. He's got to hit the open market and say, okay, what's out there for me? And he's got to be willing to go to any team because he doesn't know how many more contracts he's going to get. And like Bart Scott always used to say, it's not how much you get paid in your deal. It's how often you get paid because the market's always going up. So the key is to sign as many new contracts as you can. Well, Jason Verrett's going to be 30, like I said. How many more deals is he going to sign? Even if he plays three more years, that's maybe three deals. But like this could be his last one, realistically. So he's got to see what's out there and hopefully get a bidding war for him. So there was no way he was going to sign with the 49ers. And to be honest with you, I don't think that the 49ers should really go nuts to re-sign him, even though he was really good. The simple truth is for the 49ers, like they can't keep rolling the dice with injuries. It just, you can't do it. Like there's only so many times those dice are coming up seven. Like it's just not possible for you. You've already got your fingers crossed with Debo, Bosa, Jimmy Garoppolo if he's here, Brandon Ayuk, George Kittle. Like, Guess what? You're out of fingers. Try crossing your fingers that many times. What's that? Debo, Bosa, Jimmy, Ayu, Kittle. Five times? Guess what? You got 10 fingers. So there you go. That's all the fingers you got. You can't take any more risks. And by the way, all you people on Twitter with your anyone can get injured defense, like that is crazy to me. That is absolutely asinine. Yes, anyone can get injured. But you know who gets injured more often and is more likely to get injured? Dudes that are injury prone. Like that is just a simple fact. So the idea that, well, anyone could get injured so you just disregard their injury history is crazy to me. And it's a, it's a very simple formula. Like picture a scale, right? On one side, you've got injury risk. On the other side, you have production when healthy. Which side is bigger? Which side of the scale is up in the air and which side is down, right? And... The second part of that, which is just as important, how big is the difference between them? And that's the issue with Jimmy Garoppolo. The chance that he gets injured and his production are kind of equal. So even if he stays healthy, you're not getting a ton from him. But if it's a guy like D Ford, who has a high chance of injury, but when he's in there, he's ultra productive. That's a different calculation, right? That's a different equation when you're trying to figure out what to do. With Jason Verrett, it's, it's extremely high production, but 
It's also extremely high chance of injury and potentially extremely high cost if he does hit the open market and, and gets sort of a bidding war out there. So that, that all factors into it. But there are too many guys on the 49ers right now where that injury risk is so high, the production almost can't justify keeping them on the list. So to add more to that, it's, it's dicey to me. You might be sad about Jason Verrett leaving, and I'll be sad to see him go because he was really good. But to me, that's a smart move by the 49ers. It's a risk they just can't afford to take. All right, let's take a break. And when we come back, I want to get to, I want to revisit something I said about Trent Williams and how he is literally the fork in the road for the entire 49ers offseason. I saw a mock draft that really like made it snap into focus for me. I want to share the mock draft with you, what it said and my reaction to it. Plus, we still got to get to the 49ers jersey news that came out over the weekend, which is awesome. And you should be in a very good mood. Welcome back to the Niners Nation podcast. Okay. So it's mock draft season, as you know, and look, I read all of them. I've told you that before. I love them. I know that that most of them are going to be wrong. I do not care. They are candy. They taste good. They keep me happy in the moment. I don't care if the sugar is going to go right to my thighs. I like them. I have no tolerance for people that criticize mock drafts or how many there are. Like, do not tell me as a fan how much I can like something. Like, hard pass on that. Thanks. Like, the same people that say, oh, don't wear jerseys. Grown men shouldn't wear jerseys. F*** you. Wear the jersey. I'll wear whatever the hell I want. How about that? Sorry, fun police. Like, give me a break. So, I'm looking at mock draft. This one is from Dalton Johnson and Josh Schrock on NBCSportsBayArea.com. And they have the 49ers at 12 staying put, first of all, and taking quarterback Mac Jones from Alabama, which I'm sure will get everybody mad. But here's the part of it that I want to focus on because it's what happens after that that really caught my eye. With the next pick at 13, they have the Chargers taking Rashawn Slater, an offensive tackle, probably the second best offensive tackle in the entire draft. Here's why that matters. Because to me, that scenario that they're laying out there assumes that Trent Williams is going to be back with the 49ers. Because if he's not back, I think it's a very real possibility that the 49ers go offensive tackle at 12 in the draft. Like that changes their entire draft plan because it's not like there are a ton of other great left tackles on the free agent market that the 49ers can bring in. Plus, they're going to be a hell of a lot more expensive than, than the rookie offensive tackle would be. So there's like a decision point here that has to come with Trent Williams. There's almost like four different scenarios. There's signing Trent Williams and moving on from Jimmy or signing him and keeping Jimmy. And then there's also not signing Trent Williams and keeping Jimmy or not signing Trent Williams and letting Jimmy go. Like So there are four different potential universes that we could be living in But more than the Garoppolo thing, I think the Trent Williams thing is really the fork in the road. Because if he doesn't sign, they have to go tackle, I feel like, at number 12. Offensive line is a foundational belief of this regime about how you build a team. They prioritize offensive line and defensive line. The Niners have an unsettled offensive line as it is because we don't know who the left tackle is going to be. We don't know who the right guard is going to be. We don't know who the center is going to be. So three out of the five spots are up in the air. If they do re-sign Trent Williams, well, then the door is open. There's all sorts of possibilities, regardless of what they do with Jimmy Garoppolo. If they keep Jimmy Garoppolo, they could, I mean, they could go defensive back there. God knows the 49ers are going to need those. 
They could go safety, which I don't I don't think I think that's a little high for a safety, especially in this draft. They could go edge rusher there. Like they have so many more options if they don't have to worry about the left tackle. And in a weird way, I almost think if they can't re-sign Trent Williams, maybe that keeps Jimmy Garoppolo around because if you're Kyle Shanahan, do you want to go into a season where potentially three of your five offensive linemen are new and a rookie quarterback? Like that is asking for trouble. You can't win a Super Bowl with that much uncertainty on the offense. I don't think that's possible. So the Trent Williams thing is really the fork in the road. I keep saying it, but the more I think about it, the more I think that they really, not only do they have to try to get him signed, but they need to know early in the process if that's happening or not. Like they have to know because it changes the entire offseason plan. I'm sure they've probably been in touch with him about contract numbers. I'm hearing certain things, you know, about what was offered and what wasn't. Like, I don't want to get into it. I don't have any hard sources, but you always hear rumors about things that are going around. I don't get too wrapped up in in stuff you hear at this time of year because you're always going to hear one side of the argument, right? He asked for a crazy amount of money. What was he thinking? Or, oh, man, the team really lowballed him. They had a terrible, disrespectful offer. It's like, yeah, this is negotiation, right? You never start out at the number you want to agree to. You always start out way too high or way too low, depending on which side of the negotiation you're on. Because if otherwise, you're hurting yourself if you don't do that. You start high or low, you work your way back or up to somewhere in the middle, and, and you get this thing hammered out. So don't put too much stock in crazy things you hear now. We'll find out. We'll find out soon enough. I'm hopeful that we know one way or the other by March 15th, which if you're not paying attention, March 15th is the first day that the quote-unquote legal tampering happens in the NFL. It happens much, much earlier than that. There's all sorts of illegal tampering happening as I record this podcast, but that's when you first start to hear news of the deals leak out is March 15th. So I'm hoping that between the 15th and the 17th, when the new league year actually starts, we know one way or the other, and then we can sort of look ahead and forecast what we think the 49ers should do. Hopefully we get the news, but we'll see. Okay, last thing here, and I purposely held it to last, so hopefully you listen to this whole episode. I know you always do, right? You always listen all the way through. According to some leaks on Twitter, first of all, you can find the Bengals new jerseys. They have leaked on Twitter. They look okay. They're going with orange as the primary color, which I don't love. And they're going with round numbers, which to me look kind of like the Bears. So that would bug me if I was a Cincinnati fan. But they're definitely a little cleaner than the uniforms they've had in the past. I'm a big uniform guy, as you can't tell. But the big thing for 49ers is the red 94 throwbacks are coming back. They brought the white ones back. They've been phenomenal. It looks like the Niners are going to also add the red throwback jerseys with the with the black shadowed numbers. Oh, my God. Those were the best jerseys the team has ever worn. I'm so happy. Honestly, I would be happy if they made those the full-time jerseys, to be honest with you. At least make the whites the full-time roads. The white Niners jersey with the yellow pants, the gold pants, like that never did much for me. I was never a fan. Go with the white on white with the red numbers like they have. I hope they make that change. And then you can keep the red home jerseys with the gold pants, but that's cool. But mixing in the red shadow throwbacks from 94 with the white pants, that's the key. 
Don't go gold pants with those. Go white pants. It, it's awesome. It's the best jersey they've ever had. I'm so glad they're finally bringing it back. And get rid of that hideous, ridiculous black jersey that was never good. It was always terrible. It's true. We laughed a lot at your expense. There are way too many teams that go with black. Like, not everybody can have a black jersey. I'm sorry. There are just some teams it doesn't quite look good with. The Minnesota Vikings. The Rams. Like, I don't want to see a black Rams jersey. Just, no. Not every team gets black. Sorry. Not every color is available to every team. The 49ers never should have done it. And hopefully now we get the reds, we get the whites, and now the 49ers start to maximize their jersey. Because let's be honest. They haven't always had the greatest jerseys. The T.O. era with the like darker red with the numbers that had like three outlines and a shadow. Like those were weird. It was always weird seeing T.O. and seeing Jerry in that, especially Jerry Rice. Oh, my God. It was just awkward. I did like the red face masks from that era, but I was willing to sacrifice those to get the old classic threads back. So finally, the Niners have their jersey situation straightened out. Hopefully, they could get their roster situation straightened out. It'd be a lot better to win some games in those damn things, but we'll see. By the way, I always said the Niners should wear the throwbacks in the Super Bowl. I was hoping they would do it against the Chiefs, like bring back the throwback, you know, kind of honor the 94 team, but didn't happen. Anyway... That's going to do it for me today. Hope you enjoyed the show. As always, rate, review, subscribe. We really appreciate it. Please leave a review if you like something. If you don't, let us know. I promise you we read it and we will try and be better. I'm Rob Stats Guerrera. And as always, go Niners.